Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. This is not a drill. This is an actual tsunami warning. Uh, everybody get at least 100 feet above sea level. For more than two and a half tense hours this morning, people in Alaska and south all along the B.C. coast braced for the arrival of what could have been a devastating tsunami. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Of course, that alert was canceled, but this morning's coastal emergency was a graphic reminder of how well B.C.'s warning system works, or in some cases, doesn't work. We'll have that part of the story for you in just a moment. But first, Global's Kylie Stanton joins us live in Tofino tonight, where hundreds of people fled their homes in the dead of night. Kylie. Well, I'm here right now on Chesterman's Beach, where those sirens first went off early this morning and forced many residents and visitors to evacuate to higher ground. Today, everyone is breathing a sigh of relief, but reliving those moments that are now being called a reality check. The sound echoes through the darkness, leaving coastal residents and visitors from Alaska to Victoria scrambling to reach higher ground. I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. We are uh, over 20 meters above the water level, so uh, we know that we hope this is a safe spot. At 1.25 in the morning, a 7.9 quake struck in the Gulf of Alaska, triggering a tsunami warning for most of the B.C. coast, Haida Gwaii and Vancouver Island. In Port Alberni, residents and officials quickly jumped into action. People were amazing. As soon as they heard those tsunami early warning systems, they got out of their houses. By 2 a.m. in Tofino, local alerts were out via text and email. This here is the email that I got at 2.08 from the district, um, and then there's follow-ups. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Minutes later, officials sound the sirens. People did exactly what they needed to do. Those who were in low-lying areas evacuated their homes or hotels. They went to friends' houses that were above the inundation zone, which is 20 meters, or they came to the community uh, reception center that we set up at our community hall. For many, those precious minutes felt like a lifetime. Well, two in the morning, my next-door neighbor was pounding on my door, yelling, tsunami, get out, get out. And as I was driving, I'm thinking, is a wave going to wash over us? It's just that simple. <laughs> Only when the warning was cancelled was there a collective sigh of relief. The quake was large, but didn't generate any wave. And we're just glad that it turned out the way it did. Now it's being called the most authentic drill ever practiced here. And while BC's public safety minister is pleased with the response, he admits we may be able to do even better. We'll be doing a, a review of, uh, of, of exactly what happened, uh, make sure that uh, everything that worked the way it was supposed to, and identify any gaps and look at ways in which we can improve things. Calm, cool and collected are the words being used to describe the evacuation protocol in the early hours of this morning. But that could change if or when the real thing hits. This is being called a, a drill that is best case scenario, and we still have a lot to learn. Chris, Sophie? 
Sure do. All right, Kylie and Tofino for us. Kylie, thank you. So a lot of people may be wondering, why wasn't there a giant wave? Well, luckily, this was the type of earthquake that generally does not generate a tsunami. This morning's quake, while very powerful, was a strike-slip earthquake where two tectonic plates slide horizontally past each other. That doesn't generally generate a major tsunami. It's the other type of quake, a megathrust earthquake, where one of the plates slides under the other that generates tsunamis like the one that killed more than 22,000 people in Japan in 2011. Now, while people in many coastal communities got plenty of warning about the possible tsunami, others are saying they got little or nothing in the way of alerts. Aaron MacArthur has more on that, including what you can do to make sure you get the information you need. The tsunami sirens in Port Alberni screeched into action in the small hours of Tuesday morning. People here know what the sound means, and most took the warning seriously. The city's website, though, and the Facebook page, even the Twitter feed, were noticeably lacking in information. People made do with common sense. So we just chose on our own that Walmart is uh, high ground, and it's close to the highway, and it's a huge parking lot. In Victoria, most people slept through what was potentially a serious event. I was sleeping. No, I wasn't aware of anything. My girlfriend had alerted me in the middle of the night, but my phone was turned off. There's going to be a tsunami warning, and it's going to be a serious one. they got to find a, a better way to alert us. The technology doesn't quite exist yet in Canada for mass notification via text message. LTE messaging alerted everyone on Hawaii about a missile scare in a matter of minutes. But even if it was in place here, alerting people in the middle of the night through a phone isn't practical. We use this as an entertainment device, not a warning device. And that's why it's, it's really not relevant. We don't have a way of, of pushing through that, but we need something and as much as we can do right now. Most of the responsibility to notify people falls on municipalities and regional districts. Every event becomes a learning experience. You can't over-communicate, so how can we make sure that we're getting the information to people in a way that they use it, will receive it, and expect it? Vic Alerts is a text-based warning system. Tuesday's jolt pushed people into at least signing up. On Monday, the service would reach about 6,500 people. Now more than 30,000 have registered. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, if this close call has you wondering about the state of your personal emergency preparedness, the experts say it's never too late to start. What happened early morning today is a good reminder that disasters can strike at any time, anywhere. And while we cannot 100% prevent disasters, especially natural disasters, we can be prepared for them. The Canadian Red Cross is among a number of agencies that sell these pre-made emergency kits. But if you want to do it yourself, the necessities to set aside include food, water, preferably vacuum-packed, along with flashlights, first aid kits and medications. The other big story, of course, is the major fire at the Port Coquitlam rail yard that caused evacuations and road closures. Tanya Beja is live in Port, uh, Port Coquitlam tonight. And Tanya, this fire is raising some new concerns over how little we know about some of the things stored in that yard. That's right, Chris. Well, firefighters have an app that allows them to instantly see what's inside a rail car. The challenge here was that it took time to figure out some of the hazards outside the trains. The 
alarm bells warned people to flee as flames lit up the sky above one of Western Canada's largest rail yards. There was a loud boom and we could feel that. And that's when all of a sudden sparks just started flying from the machine. It seemed unreal, like, you know, it it seemed artificial. On Monday evening, a train collided with a tanker truck in Port Coquitlam's CP rail yard. 30 firefighters and five trucks rushed to the scene. Our first concern was um, generally the safety of everybody involved. We didn't know what the product was and tried very hard to find out what the product was in the car. The truck was carrying ethanol, just the first challenge. Then CP had to move dozens of train cars carrying other hazardous products. The sheer heat of the fire caused a second blaze to erupt in a nearby shed next to a warehouse containing propane. It took nearly eight hours before firefighters won their battle. The tanker truck was on top of the train and broken on an angle, so it was really difficult to get a blanket of foam on top of that. Nobody was injured, but hundreds of people were evacuated from nearby businesses and homes. People couldn't leave. Everyone was standing outside their cars taking photos. And the police started coming, being like, you have to go, you have to go. Which was a mad zoo, because then everybody was trying to leave. And it was a nightmare, like getting out of here. The city, CP and first responders ran regular disaster drills at the rail yard and say they were prepared. But as they spent Tuesday cleaning the debris, Port Coquitlam's mayor says he still has many unanswered questions. How did a truck get in front of a train? How did it occur? Why could this even possibly come? What was going to happen in the future to prevent this from occurring again? All parties say they're now doing a full review to see how they can improve things like communication during an emergency. CP and RCMP are also investigating the cause of the collision. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Tanya. Some new developments tonight in the story of that dangerous Burnaby crosswalk. RCMP have released dash cam footage of the suspect vehicle in last Saturday's hit and run, which was the third accident in a week. The video shows the last few moments before the pedestrian was hit. It's not clear enough to make out a license plate, but police believe it was a black Dodge Charger, which could now have damage to its front passenger side. They're hoping this video will help to spark someone's memory. The man who was struck suffered serious but not life-threatening injuries. It was the third accident there in a week, including a fatal crash that killed a 15-year-old girl walking to church. Last night, we told you that the city of Burnaby had responded to the calls for action by promising to install a new controlled crossing. And today, crews were out beginning that work. The illegal sidewalk pot market on Robson Street in downtown Vancouver is back in business despite police making multiple arrests over the past two days. Vancouver police today revealing what they seized in their raids and defending themselves against criticism that they haven't done enough. A couple of days after Vancouver police moved in on illegal marijuana vendors at Robson Square, they're back setting up shop. We're saving lives. They have no right to stop us. Because this city's doing nothing about the fentanyl crisis. I'm tired of our people dying. Vancouver police have now released details into Sunday night's bust, dubbed Project Apprentice. Police say this is the first phase of arrests as concerns about public safety have escalated. Reports of hard drugs being offered, such as cocaine. Reports of marijuana being offered to teenagers. uh, And also incidences where ID wasn't checked, wasn't even asked for in any of the cases. An increased number of vendors that were taking place at the site. 
associated assaults and violence. Police seized more than nine pounds of marijuana, more than $4,000 in cash, 23 pounds of edible marijuana, weapons, and drug paraphernalia. Project Apprentice has been in the works for the past six weeks, but police say they have been working with the city monitoring the situation for months, taking incremental steps with warnings and bylaw fines rather than moving in right away. I mean, I guess the choice is to hurry into it or to do it correctly. And we wanted to make sure that everything was covered off. And we wanted to uh, make sure that the communications and the many meetings that we had with Federal Crown was completed. Project Apprentice resulted in four arrests. A fifth is expected. Eleven charges are being recommended for trafficking and possession. Investigators expect more arrests and charges. Grace Key, Global News. TransLink has unveiled its solution to one of the biggest problems with its new fare gates. As Ted Trenecki reports, special needs passengers will now have better access using a made-in-BC system that's getting attention from around the world. SkyTrain's so-called fare gates opened with great fanfare back in 2016, but with one glaring problem. Tapping your compass card wasn't an option for some, like Tran, a quadriplegic. She had open access to SkyTrain until those gates went up. You're supposed to tap here. Yeah. Might as well be a million miles away. Might as well. Even if it was just uh, half an inch away, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. That was shocking. Um, and I have a personal story with this. My father had accessibility issues. So a Vancouver company specializing in RFID, or radio frequency identification technology, tracked down one of the disabled seen on the news and hired him to help come up with a solution. And Brad's still on the payroll, testing all the new gates. Oh, I'm happy to be part of the solution because, I mean, it was a real, you know, a real pain for me to use transit before. And a job, too. And a job, too, exactly. (laughs) The solution is a modified compass card that emits a signal. When the card holder gets to within a couple of meters of the gate, a receiver magically opens it. Easy to use? Yeah. It's like magic. Open sesame. <laughs> TransLink says that as far as it knows, the use of RFIDs like this is unique in the world of public transit. But it says it's only available at about 40% of the system stations so far. Well, we have to start somewhere. Um, so we're, we're committed to having the, the entire system uh, fully equipped by, uh, by the end of the year. The program costs $9 million, and until it's officially launched system-wide, those using the modified cards ride for free. Ted Chernucky, Global News. Thank you. Several Safeway locations will be shutting their doors for good across the Lower Mainland. Empire Corporation, which also owns Sobeys, says 10 Lower Mainland stores will be affected. Five underperforming stores, as they call them, including two in Vancouver, two in Burnaby and Sunwood Square in Coquitlam, will close forever. The other five, including stores in Richmond, Surrey and Mission, could reopen as a new discount brand, Freshco. The union says up to 1,000 jobs could be lost. The grocery giant has been struggling to incorporate Safeway since buying the chain for $5.8 billion back in 2013. A B.C. man police say is a high risk to commit an act of terror is on the streets tonight after a judge refused to grant the Crown's request for severe restrictions. As Paul Johnson reports, two separate incidents in the past two years have law enforcement worried about what he might do next. Early last month, police say an agitated man walked up to this recruiting center in New Westminster, took off his shoe, 
and started snapping pictures of the building, shoe in foreground. As George W. Bush found in Iraq once, in Middle Eastern cultures, shoes are sometimes used as a sign of disrespect. In New West, police became even more concerned when they discovered the man outside the recruiting center was 40-year-old Khalid Ibrahim, a Canadian of Iraqi descent who was already facing a charge of uttering threats, allegedly having said he was going to behead Canadians and that he was a member of ISIS. Terror attacks like the one on Parliament Hill in 2014 have prompted authorities to use something called a terrorism peace bond, where people suspected of being dangerous can be put under intense scrutiny. After Ibrahim's alleged antics last month, the Crown wanted one for him, citing fears on reasonable grounds that Ibrahim may commit a terrorism offense. But this morning in a New Westminster courtroom, the judge turned them down. The judge recognized that Ibrahim's behavior has been disturbing and that he's been a public nuisance. But she doesn't believe that rises to the level of there being an imminent possibility he's going to commit a terrorist act. Ibrahim's lawyer says the terrorism peace bond was overkill in this case. He's an individual who admittedly has some mental health issues. For now, Ibrahim can stay at home at this new Westminster apartment building awaiting his trial for uttering threats. Paul Johnson, Global News. An international student behind a brutal attack at UBC is being sent back to his home country. Tamer Hamid Almastadi was found not criminally responsible for stabbing a fellow UBC student back in 2016. The judge concluding last fall that Almastadi was suffering a brief psychotic episode when he stormed Mary Hare's dorm room, stabbing her in the neck. He has remained in custody since that October decision and now will return to Saudi Arabia where he will remain in psychiatric care. A Metro Vancouver woman is fighting to stay in the place she now calls home. She's on the verge of being deported back to Cameroon where she fears she'll face prison or even worse, all because of her sexual preference. And as Nadia Stewart reports, she's running out of time. A domestic distraction from the stress that plagues this young woman's mind day and night, oftentimes reducing her to tears. We're calling her Rita, using an alias and concealing her identity out of concern of the potential and very real consequences, especially now as she faces deportation to her native Cameroon. Because the police were not interfering, they call her jungle justice. Rita came to Canada over three years ago as a student, but she was outed back home in 2016. Her former girlfriend detained and beaten based solely on suspicion they were lesbians. She's been fighting to stay in Canada, but it appears federal immigration officials don't believe she is gay. They said they don't believe me. I don't know how they want to believe me again. I don't know what they want me to prove. This is a challenge that all ref LGBTQ refugees face. It's part of the reason that Canada developed the, the new guideline. Guidelines that were not in place during Rita's first hearing. Jordan says the new rules ensure fairness for LGBTQ refugees. And now they have very good guidelines around sexual orientation, gender identity and expression decisions. But the way that Rita was treated did not reflect those. 
They thought she didn't know her girlfriend's name. Vancouver Association for Survivors of Torture joining the fight against deportation, taking the unusual step to launch a letter-writing campaign to the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, hoping Thursday's hearing won't see a young woman sent home to an uncertain future. I think it's saying something very strong for Canada to send a young black lesbian woman among the most marginalized communities in Canada and elsewhere back to a country where it's illegal to be gay and she faces torture. I mean, what kind of message is that? Nadia Stork, Global News. BC's coroner service is investigating a death on Mount Washington after the Vancouver Island ski resort received record-breaking snowfall. The male snowboarder was found unresponsive in a treed area yesterday afternoon. He was inbounds, but off the runs. His identity has not been released, but the resort says he was a local. The coroner is now working to determine the cause of death. These days, you never know when you'll be caught on camera and a Surrey pizza delivery man and his customer learned that the hard way. As John Hua reports, you may just want to check to make sure there's nothing missing on your pizza next time you have a delivery. Harry Seti has seen a lot of odd things in elevators, from people flashing guns to others getting it on. People having sex in elevators, that's very common, these kind of things. But funny things, but this is this is this is definitely different. When his cameras captured this in a Surrey elevator over the weekend, the 20-year security veteran couldn't believe his eyes. As soon as he entered the elevator, he just put the pizza box down on the floor, and he started munching on the toppings. That's right. Between the first and 27th floor, this Domino's pizza delivery person decided he needed a snack. Oh, geez, what's he gonna do to this pizza? What happened to the toppings? Jaw dropping for many. Oh my God! Oh my God! Wow. That's terrible. Seti later told the apartment resident who placed the order, Global News notified Domino's Pizza corporate office. We're just totally embarrassed and frustrated to learn of this situation. I mean, we apologize profusely to the customer and, and, and to all of our customers. The Domino's delivery person identified and fired for his actions. This is a college student. I mean, a young person who just made a very, very wrong decision, and now he's going to pay for it. Fraser Health has yet to receive a complaint, but says it can deal with what happens outside the kitchen. If uh, individuals have concerns about uh, food that's being delivered or how it's being handled when it's being transported, those types of uh, concerns can also be brought to our health protection offices. As for the customer who got the partially eaten order, the pizza giant vows to make it right. I'd be pretty disappointed. I know we're not to go anymore, you know. But like a set of dominoes, the trust of customers already beginning to fall. John Hua, Global News. A dazzling but increasingly dangerous display from the Philippines' most active volcano, sending 56,000 villagers fleeing to evacuation centers. Mayon is spewing fountains of red-hot lava and huge ash plumes a day after an explosive eruption raised the volcano's alert level to four on a scale of five and expanded the danger zone to eight kilometers from the crater. And in Japan, an eruption at Mount Kusatsu Shirane, north of Tokyo, killing one and injuring several others. Falling rocks hurt 11 people and left 80 skiers temporarily stranded near the summit. Volcanic rocks damaged the roof of a rest house where the skiers were taking shelter and shattered the window of a ropeway gondola. Around the same time, an avalanche trapped skiers at a nearby ski resort. 
A small town in Kentucky is in shock tonight after another school shooting. A 15-year-old student killed two classmates and wounded a dozen others in the town of Benton, methodically firing a handgun inside a crowded atrium at his school. Witnesses say the teen knew what he was doing, firing until he ran out of ammunition and then taking off, running. Police arrested him a few minutes later. The Winter Olympics in South Korea are only a couple of weeks away, with the host nation and its northern neighbor promising to put their hostilities aside in the spirit of sport. A quick glance at the history between these two avowed enemies shows what an amazing agreement that is. But some, including a former spy, are questioning the motives behind it. She's a former North Korean spy and a mass killer. Kim Jong-wee put a bomb on a South Korean jetliner months before the 1988 Seoul Olympics. It exploded, killing all 115 on board. She was caught and named the man who gave her orders. Kim Jong-il, the father of today's leader Kim Jong-un. Your goal was destroy the plane, destroy the Olympics. Yes, I was a robot, she says, brainwashed. South Korea was our enemy. The Olympics went ahead. The U.S. designated North Korea a sponsor of terror. The victims remembered here, but never found. Many here are convinced North Korea's methods today are equally ruthless, using weapons to sow fear to try to destroy South Korea. Kim Jong-un aims to break America's ties with the South, she says. He's using the games to buy time for his nuclear program. She was sentenced to death for the bombing, but pardoned by South Korea. She lives in hiding today, fearing Kim will kill her. A traitor in his eyes, who completed her mission, but turned on the regime. Bill Neely, NBC News, Seoul. More women are giving birth by C-section, and now a study looks at the long-term risks and benefits of surgical births. Researchers in the UK looked at nearly 30 million births. Compared to vaginal deliveries, C-sections had a lower risk of incontinence and pelvic problems in the mother, but they were also linked to a higher risk of future miscarriage and birth complications. Children delivered by C-section were more likely to be obese and have asthma. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A lottery glitch that left thousands of winners celebrating and the Lottery Corporation sweating the cost. That's coming up right after the weather forecast. And just ahead of the forecast, let's get a quick preview of the debate between the six candidates for the leadership of the BC Liberals. It's airing exclusively on BC One tonight, right after the news hour. Keith Baldry is live at the side of the debate in downtown Vancouver. He'll have a surprise for us coming up in just a moment, but a big night for these candidates. Uh, Keith? Certainly is, uh, guys. This is the final debate of this campaign, a campaign that's been fairly quiet because they're not choosing a new leader. They're choosing an opposition. Uh, uh, not, they're not choosing a new premier. They're choosing a new opposition leader. So the stakes are not as high as they were in 2011. But uh, about 1,500 people expected to be on hand here, uh, downtown Vancouver. Uh, the buzz is already in the air. I think we look for some fireworks on the stage. This is the last chance for the candidates to make their mark. I want to bring in our latest hire, our latest acquisition on the reporting front, our good friend and colleague, 
Richard Zussman joining us from the press gallery. He's going to be our new uh, online reporter, veteran political reporter as well. Richard, how important is this debate to uh, the candidates finally having their last chance at making their mark? Yeah, Keith, it's, it's fantastic to join the global team. I'm thrilled to be here. Today's my first day. Uh, and I think today's important. You mentioned the 1,500 people or so that will be here. It's important for them, but more important, the 60,000 some odd mm -hmm. BC Liberal members from across the province. Many will be tuning in tonight to get a last look at the candidates. A lot of them have decided who they're going to support on the first ballot, but it's important who they're going to support second, third, fourth to determine who the winner is going to be. And think about the ridings, not just the big ones like Surrey, but all those unheld ridings yep. that don't have a lot of Liberals like on Vancouver Island. Yeah, a lot of people don't know how this actually works. It's a preferential ballot, as you mentioned, 100 points assigned to each riding. So uh, you can win some Surrey ridings, but if you don't win some Kootenai ridings, you're not going to be any further ahead than uh, someone who cleans, cleans up in Surrey. Uh, in terms of who's going to be squaring off tonight, in previous debates, Diane Watts has been sort of on the, uh, the subject of sort of a gang up from the other candidates. Uh, for, uh, perhaps an indication they think she's in the lead. Do you, any sense who might be the focal point of attack tonight? I think it's going to be Diane Watts, like I mentioned. This is the first debate since we've had this agreement between Mike DeYoung and Andrew Wilkinson, two of the candidates saying that they're going to ask their members to put the other person second. So it's going to be important to see if they team up and try to beat up on Diane Watts. Right, well, there you have it. It's starting to get loud here as more candidates <laughs> enter the hall. Uh, airing live tonight from 7 to 9 on BC1. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Keith, and uh, welcome to Richard. Good to have him on our team as well. Good luck with that broadcast. Again, that's on BC1 immediately following this program. All right. So let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at our forecast. And it's been wet all day and uh, it's uh, showing no sign of letting up, Christy. No, that's for sure. The rain is expected to continue on and off for the next couple of days. Finally, though, the wind warnings have ended. Here's a look at what we're going to talk about tonight. Mountain snow, some areas up to 35 centimeters in the next 24 hours. An entire valley has a risk of freezing rain right through the commuting hours tomorrow morning. I'll show you which. And snow for the lower mainland. Yes, did I actually say that? I'll show you when. Here's a look at what we're expecting. Waves of rain on and off. These pockets could be pretty intense at times, lighter at times as well. But because of the instability, certainly expect some intensity, but dry patches as well. We also have a risk of uh, thunderstorms uh, just isolated ones, but this is the pattern we'll be contending with for the next two days. So which areas could see a good amount of snow in the next 24 hours? Well, the local mountains could see a good 20 to 30 centimeters of snow. Now, the freezing level is just at the top right now. There's a chance it could climb a little bit. If it does, we won't see that much, but it looks like it's going to drop through the day tomorrow. So terrific skiing weather, but of course, if you're traveling the mountain passes anywhere east of Hope, there is a snowfall warning for the Coquihalla, 35 centimeters of snow down towards Allison Pass a little bit less, but we're also expecting 35 centimeters along Kootenai Pass. A risk of freezing rain through the valley from central Okanagan all the way up through the Shuswap. There's just a pocket of cold air that's been trapped in underneath the moisture. So that risk of freezing rain will continue until about 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. So if you're up early and driving or even through the morning hours, watch for icy conditions on the roads and the sidewalks. Up into the north, periods of rain for the coast. Five centimeters from Terrace to Smithers. Also light snow in through the BC Peace River area. But be beautiful conditions from Prince George down through Williams Lake. Uh, snow or risk of freezing rain in through the southern interior in the morning hours changing to rain. Again, that's Kelowna up towards Vernon and the Salmon Arm area. Periods of rain across the south coast. But again, it'll be in waves. So if it's dry when you're leaving the house, make sure you bring an umbrella because I'll tell you, it's going to be heavy at another point throughout the day. 
Seven will be our high, and we'll see that on and off over the next little while. When do we have the chance of snow? Friday night into Saturday. That's when temperatures will drop. We're still days off, so make sure you keep tuning back in, and we'll be able to refine those temperatures for you. And I love this shot. This is looking back at yesterday's sunshine, Black Creek, which is just north of the Courtney, Courtney Comox area. Little guy there looking back at his owner or <laughs> handler and uh, saying, come on now. <laughs> Let's Follow go. me. Yep. That's All right. Great. Thanks, Christy. Lottery officials in South Carolina are adding up the tally of winners after a glitch on Christmas Day resulted in hundreds, even thousands of winners. The tic-tac-toe-like scratch and wins were misprinted with Christmas trees in all nine slots. Many thought they had hit the jackpot, but not so fast. Lottery officials were meeting today to determine whether the over $35 million in winnings has to be paid out, and they didn't come to an agreement. An independent investigation has now been launched, so all those winners will have to wait a little longer before they can splurge. Good Christmas gift for those people. <laughs> Would be. Not for the printer, though. <laughs> hey, they messed up. Pay up. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what I say, especially yeah. if I... Can I say, oh, ticket. I'm sorry, I, I bought the wrong ticket. So can I have my money back now? I was trying to buy the winning ticket. Okay. Go so, for it. Here we go. Neither one of us wanted to actually throw to you, so you could just Well, I was away. thinking about should I stay or should I go now and, you know. Oh, the old class uh, song? Oh, that's class kind of stuck song? in my head and All so right. is Neil Actually, you know what? That's a good earworm, though. It mm-hmm. really is. Uh, okay. So with the Canucks drifting further and further away from playoff island, It is not too soon to think about next season. And with that in mind, which of these three is likely to be given new contracts? Henrik and Daniel Sedin or Jim Benning? Now, at the start of the season, the smart money would have been on Jim Benning. Now it's the other way around. Benning coming back as GM is probably 50-50 at best. But the Twins' chances of returning seem pretty good. If they want to play again next year, I think the Canucks would probably bring them back. It's, uh, I think we've shown that we can that we can play number one, and that's uh, they're not going to bring us back just to to be teachers or mentors. I mean, they, they want us to produce on the ice as well. So that's uh, uh, that's something I, I think we've shown that we can do. It's one of the big questions surrounding the Canucks: Do you bring Henrik and Daniel back for another year, or maybe the question is, how don't you? Henrik and Daniel are both on pace for 50-point seasons, and once again are proving to be the most durable players in the lineup who are also top three in team scoring. Henrik's played every game this season, while Daniels missed just one. So reading into the future, why not bring them back? Especially if you can sign them for considerably less than the $7 million they're earning this season. Two goals in 38 seconds, and the Canucks lead 5-3. Boy, what a classic Sedine play. First of all, they're great ambassadors for the game, and they have been for a long time. They're having a very good season for themselves. Uh, they've put up some points for us when we really needed them. And they're great to work with for me. They have been. I think on the ice, it, it feels, uh, for the most part, it's felt really good this year. And uh, feels like we can play in this league and, and put up points. And, and that's, uh, uh, that's all we wanted to know before the season. The Sedin's on-ice future isn't the only unresolved issue for the Canucks. Off the ice, Vancouver Canucks general manager Jim Benning is without a contract at season's end, and there's been very little talk of a new deal coming. It's almost like the Canucks version of Survivor, with Benning just waiting to be voted off the island. And that just might happen with the Canucks poised to miss the playoffs for the third straight year. 
which could lead to Trevor Linden wearing two hats, president and general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Jay Janor, Global Sports. Well, tonight's game against the Kings will be Bo Horvat's first home game since December 5th when he broke his foot against Carolina. Now, we all know how badly things went without him and Brandon Sutter able to play center for a big chunk of time, but maybe they can start to play the way they did in the first couple of months of the season with those guys back. It's tough when you lose lose guys like that, and um, you know, I think uh, you know, last game it was it was good. I thought we we had a little bit more energy. We uh, you know we got in the forecheck a little bit harder. Um, I thought uh, we we felt a little bit more confident out there, and hopefully we can continue that tonight. Gary Price of Montreal facing the hottest team in the NHL. Colorado has won ten in a row. They beat the Leafs four two last night, but Nick Delorier scores, and he loved it so much he got dizzy and fell down. So it's 1-0 Montreal in the second period. Then another Habs goal. Alex Galchenyuk will make it 2-0 as the puck falls to him perfectly. Montreal leads in the third period over the Avalanche. Hey, Surrey's Adam Spence and having a good Web.com tournament in the Bahamas. Three rounds done. He is tied for second. This is a birdie today. He's at 13 under par. He is one shot back with the final round coming tomorrow. LeBron James, 33 years, 24 days, looking to become the youngest NBA player ever to reach 30,000 points in a career. This is the moment. He passes 30,000 in tonight's game against the San Antonio Spurs. That gave him... 30,001. So he joins an exclusive club. Seven players have got 30K in their career. Kareem has the most. There are two guys still playing with 30K. That's LeBron James, of course, and Dirk Nowitzki. Rafael Nadal is out of the Australian Open, losing to an old foe, the injury bug. Not that he wasn't in tough with his uh, match against Marin Silic last night. It went five sets. Well, it didn't fully go five sets. A muscle injury forced Nadal out, losing, or he was down 2 nothing in the fifth set when the injury occurred. He's only won the Aussie Open once. That was in 2009. He felt he had a good chance to win it this year. He was fully healthy, but once again, his body betrayed him. I am a positive person, and I can be positive, but... Uh... Today is, you know, is an opportunity lost to be in, a, in the semifinals of uh, Grand Slam and fight for, uh, for an important title for me. You know? And uh, in this tournament, already happened a couple of times in my life. You know? So it's really tough to accept. I have never done this before, handball highlights. But this is a one you have to see. Look at that save. Tremendous in the game between Germany and Denmark. You do that, how can you not get on the show? There you go. <laughs> the streak of sweat. Oh, can I say something floor. very quickly? Yeah, go Last ahead. night in that story I did on the young lady who played... Izzy Palumbo? Izzy Palumbo. I said, for some dumb reason, the Kimberly Hockey League. It's the Kootenai International Junior Hockey League. There you go. It's the Cuh. It's the cuss. <laughs> it's the cuss. It's, I don't know. <laughs> you nailed it now. Someone, someone switched my brownie, obviously, at lunch. Here's a look at today's snow report. More snow on the way for all of the mountains of British Columbia, the ski areas. Whistler Blackcomb, 9 centimeters new snow. Grouse, 11. Cypress, 16. And Sasquatch, 14.
In the BC interior, Revel Stoke 198 centimeter base, Manning Park 164, Powder King 219, and on Vancouver Island, Mount Washington, 18 centimeters of new snow. In the southern interior, Big White's base 194, Silver Star 181, Sun Peaks 146, and Apex 176 centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, we break down today's Oscar nominations and get some star reaction. Plus, we look back at the very first acting gigs from some of the Oscar frontrunners. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thank you, Carlos. Well, after 50 years entertaining fans, legendary singer Neil Diamond is admitting he just can't perform on stage anymore. Diamond is thanking fans as he goes public with his private battle with Parkinson's. But even though the touring will end, the music won't. There wasn't nothing but a heartache In the middle of a bad dream This is a complicated week for Neil Diamond, like who has delighted audiences with his music for half a century. Tomorrow, he turns 77. Someday, he'll be honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammy. But it's what he shared yesterday that's bringing headlines. He has Parkinson's disease and will no longer tour, canceling a planned swing through Australia and New Zealand. He posted this statement on his website. My thanks go out to my loyal and devoted audiences around the world. You will always have my appreciation for your support and encouragement. This ride has been so good, so good, so good. Thanks to you. He says he will keep working, writing music and recording it. And while he may no longer play stadiums, his fans, at least in Boston, will make sure his music always will. As they do in the eighth inning of every Red Sox game. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News, New York. Somehow, sorry, go ahead. Don't try getting that out of your head now. No well, no, and especially with rugby coming up on the <laughs> yes. weekend, Canada, Uruguay, they're going to be playing it. Somehow it became a rugby anthem, sweet Carolina. <laughs>